Uh, let's just turn to God in prayer. Let's pray for his uh, enlightenment. Father God, we come to you now and ask that you would give us a humble spirit. As we think of those words, we've just been singing about how the Lord Jesus Christ came as a servant king. He humbled himself for us. And we pray that you would give us hearts that are open to hear what you have to say to us. Help us not to be blinded by our own faults, our errors. But please correct us where necessary, rebuke us, challenge us by your grace, because we want to be more like Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you turn on the TV these days, you're quite likely to um, find a programme in which somebody is trying to impress somebody else. Maybe um, three people coming up on the screen, hopefully. Um, The terrible trio of Simon Cowell, Amanda Holden, Piers Morgan, judges of uh, Britain's Got Talent, before whom various hopefuls perform and try and win the coveted prize. Alternatively, it uh, may be another terrible trio of Alan Sugar and his two sidekicks in The Apprentice, where a group of hopeful businessmen and businesswomen try to impress them with their ability to perform a number of different uh, challenges. So keen are they to impress that um, they put their personal relationships to one side and even uh, Kate stuck the knife in poor old Philip the other week. But I guess it's not surprising that we have all these different programmes on TV because life is about, in many ways, to to everybody, it's about impressing people, isn't it? You know, if you want to be picked for the football team, you need to impress the manager. If you want to pass your exams, you have to impress the examiner with your knowledge. If you want to get a job, you have to impress your potential employer with your skills. If you want to go out with someone, you have to impress them with why they would want to go out with someone like you. And in all these things, I guess we will have different levels of confidence in our own abilities. We may feel very confident to the extent of arrogance that we saw with our Lightning McQueen earlier on. Or we may actually lack confidence. We may be quite shy, maybe quite introverted. But what about when it comes to God? If we want to be accepted by God, and if we believe that he's the one who made us, then he must be the, the one we want to impress most. How do we get him to be impressed by us? Is it about how confident we are? We're in these poll services, as I've said, we're looking at different parables. And uh, this evening we're looking at the parable that uh, Steph read out of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which tells us a lot about what impresses God. And what comes across in this, and many of Jesus' parables, is actually that Jesus was not afraid to shock people. I think Nigel talked the other week about how Jesus uses a sense of humour. And I think this parable almost starts a bit like a joke, doesn't it? It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. Sounds a bit like two blokes went into a pub. But Jesus' use of humour is not just to make you laugh. It has a very serious point behind it. 
He's not afraid to criticise behaviour that is ungodly or hypocritical. And we often think of the Bible as something which is quite soothing, something quite comforting, particularly when we're feeling low. A bit like having a cup of tea and a digestive biscuit, if that's your thing. But actually the Bible tells us that the Word of God is living and active. It says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's not meant to be something nice and fluffy that makes us feel good. Often it actually makes us feel very uncomfortable. Often challenges all those ideas that we have that we think must be right. It's meant to shock I think Jesus' teaching this parable is pretty shocking, so I'm sorry if you've come here this evening hoping to feel good about yourself, um, because you're going to be a bit disappointed. God wants to sharpen us into the sort of people he wants us to be. That often requires some, some home truths. The reason the Pharisees didn't like Jesus is because he kept pointing out to them their faults, and they didn't like that very much. And the impact of this parable would have actually been much greater when Jesus told it in his day because I think today we have a different image of Pharisees, don't we? What do you think of when you hear the word Pharisee today? What do you think of when you hear the word Pharisee? Is there a certain image that comes up to your mind, a certain characteristic? Does anybody want to shout something out? What do you think of when you hear the word Pharisee? Hypocrite. Hypocrite, yeah, hypocrite. Legalistic, self-righteous. They don't um, come across particularly well, do they? Um, But in Jesus' day, they were the leaders of the Jewish faith. They were respected. They were honoured. They were looked up to as holy men who you didn't dare question, let alone criticise. On the other hand, we have the robbers, it says here, the evildoers, the adulterers, they were obviously sinners. You know, those you looked down upon. Tax collectors weren't much better, it says. You know, the problem with them was that they kept abusing their expense claims. <laughs> Sounds familiar. But also they were traitors. They were collecting money for the, the occupying Roman forces. So you had the goodies, the Pharisees, you had the baddies. And the shocking thing about this parable is that suddenly these things were overturned in people's minds. Suddenly it's the Pharisee who's the bad guy and the tax collector who's the good guy. How does that happen? Well, because Jesus looks at the outward appearance, what people try to do to impress others, and he's not very impressed with that. That is what we normally look at, the outward appearance. And what he's really interested in is what is in the heart. What is driving people inside? What are they thinking? What is important to them? And the huge contrast we see in this parable is between the proud man, who thinks he's good enough, as it says in the introduction here to this parable. It says it's designed for those who are confident of their own righteousness in verse 9. In other words, those who thought they were better than others and looked down on everybody else. We have the proud man and we have the humble person. He doesn't think he's good enough in himself and therefore he asks God for mercy, for forgiveness. Let's just look, just look a brief look at these two, the Pharisee and the, and the tax collector. The Pharisee, 
What does he do when he prays? Does he praise God? Does he focus on God's glory? No. It says, basically, he prayed about himself. And there's obviously nothing wrong with praying for our needs. God wants us to do that. But for the Pharisee, it's all about him. When he says, you know, I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other men, you know, he's not really thanking God. He's saying, look at me, aren't I a great bloke? Why am I a great bloke? Well, look at me, I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get. Don't I deserve your reward, God? After all, I give you so much. And then we have the tax collector. Notice how he stands at a distance, doesn't feel good enough to come close to the temple, to come close to God. He holds back, wouldn't even look up to, to heaven. And he beats his breast, a sign of mourning, mourning of his sin. And he simply says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, God, have mercy on me, someone who's made a few mistakes, but actually I'm not too bad, really, God. No, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Someone who knows that everything he thinks and says and does is affected in some way by sin. Someone who's responsible for his actions, who doesn't try and blame the fact that, well, you know, actually it was my dad who wanted me to become a tax collector. Or, well, this is the only job that I could get. And everybody else makes dodgy expense claims anyway, so it doesn't really matter, does it? No, someone who admits his sin admits he needs forgiveness and God is the only one who can provide that. These two men display quite different attitudes to God and so they receive quite different rewards. The tax collector is the one it says who, verse 13, verse, verse 13, went home justified before God. And of course, the Pharisee goes home with nothing. The one who had sinned, who knew he had sinned, was treated by God as if he hadn't sinned, who had all his sins wiped clean. And all the Pharisee gets out of this, gets out of his impressing God, is the reward that, well, other people heard him pray quite loudly about himself, but God is not impressed. Well, what's our reaction to this parable? What are the lessons the warnings that we can take away from this. I think, first of all, rejoice that we can be accepted by God even though we have nothing to impress him with. If you're someone here who's not a Christian, hopefully you'll be thinking, this is really good news. There is hope for me. All that stuff I've done that I feel shamed about, God is prepared to forgive if I ask him to. That is brilliant news. I mean, I know I'm guilty of just living my life for myself, doing everything for my enjoyment, but isn't it great that God wants to forgive me? He wants to be friends with me, even though I have nothing to offer him. Because I'm not particularly bright, you know, I'm not very well off, I'm not very popular, but Jesus is still interested in me. And so what little I do have, I want to give to him. I want to try and please him as best as I can because he loves me so much. That's the good news. The warning 
is if you are already a Christian here this evening, the danger is that you might have fallen into the trap to, that to, to forget that none of us here deserves God's mercy. And to begin to think maybe, possibly without even realising it, that actually I do deserve a bit of God's mercy. You know, I'm quite useful to him after all. You know, what would, he, what would he do without me? Think of all that good stuff that I do for him. But in Acts, it says, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. It's not our good deeds that save us. It's God's mercy. And his mercy is sufficient to save anyone, however unlikely they may appear to us. The people listening to Jesus would have thought of the tax collector as someone completely unlikely, somebody Jesus wouldn't possibly want to save. You know, he was so immoral. I hope we don't look down on others as being beyond God's forgiveness. Rejoice that we can be accepted by God, even though we have nothing to impress him with. Second lesson is... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if you are a Christian, you probably know that God saves us by his mercy. And therefore, you probably don't look down on the tax collector. After all, you learned the story of Zacchaeus. You know that sad little tax collector who couldn't see over the crowd. One who looks probably a little bit like Danny DeVito climbs up a tree, invites Jesus round to his house for tea and cakes, and he comes out and tells everyone he's going to give all his money away. Tax collectors aren't that bad after all, are they? No, I wouldn't think I'm not like that tax collector. But I wonder how many of you thought, I'm actually glad I'm not like that Pharisee. I know I did as I read this. And, and you see, if, you, if that is you as well, we've fallen into exactly the same trap as the Pharisee. He said, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector. But to say, I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee, is just as bad. You know, it demonstrates a pride in us. It's a different sort of pride. But pride, nevertheless, it says, I am better than that Pharisee. And this parable, as it says in verse 9, is meant for those who looked down on everybody else. The Bible and books of James and Peter, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is what caused Adam and Eve to disobey God in the Garden of Eden. It is the root of sin. It's the biggest threat to the health of this church, the health of every other church. And in case you're thinking... Well, that's not really me. I've got a little test for us all to do. There are going to be some questions which um, appear on the screen in a minute, one by one, um, very slowly, just a couple of seconds on each one. Um, I'd like you just to read them as they come up. Hopefully they're not too small, the writing, but you can read them. And just, uh, just, not, just hold them on a minute. <laughs> Don't go too fast. Just take a moment to, to read each one and think, actually, is that me? Is that me? Am I guilty of that?
Let's just have a moment. Each one will come up in a couple of seconds. But all of those questions have in common is a feeling that I am better than others, that I shouldn't have to do certain things. I'm too good for that. That I deserve to be treated in a, a certain way. As that last question made clear, none of us is exempt from pride. And if we think we are, we are probably more guilty than the rest. We're going to have a chance to confess our sin of pride in a minute and ask God for help because you know, the first way of dealing with pride is to acknowledge it, to confess it, to ask God for the grace to lead lives that are humble. But one way to help us to combat pride is to think of the example of Jesus. And if we can, we just turn to Philippians chapter 2, page 1179. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Amazing thing about this passage from Philippians is that Jesus is superior to us all. You know, we are learning about that in the Hebrew series on Sunday evenings. Even coming down to earth in human form, he was superior. You know, you would have known that he was superior. And yet it says he was humble. how, How does that work? Well, it's the attitude that he had towards himself, and to others. It's the attitude of considering others better than yourself. Jesus emptied himself of all his greatness, of all his honour, all his majesty to come down to earth. If he had come with all that, it would have been impossible for him to exist alongside other people. It's been like the old story of the prince and the pauper. It was impossible for the prince to live alongside normal people. He had to give up all that position of honour and majesty and put on pauper's clothes. And if we're going to rid ourselves of pride, we need to give up that feeling that we are more important than others. And so the final lesson from this passage as we go back to it, actually, no, still in Philippians. Philippians continues, this is what happened to Jesus after he, he was obedient to death. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He gave them the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As a result of Jesus' humility, he was exalted to the highest place. In other words, he was given great honour. And that's the same promise that we are given in this passage in Luke. It finishes there in verse 14, back in chapter 18. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
If we take on that same attitude as Jesus Christ, if we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, if in humility we consider others better than ourselves, if we become servants, then God will exalt us. He will give us the honour of being one of his treasured people. And that is more than we can ever deserve. So let's try, by God's grace, to think instead of that we are hard done by, instead of wishing everybody was as good as us, praise God for his mercy that he should accept a sinner like you or me. And think of that sacrifice of Jesus. What he gave up to make that possible.